You might recall in the um, last year in the fall, we uh, broke up early and then we went to the back room and we did part of our service as the early church would have done it more informally, gathered around where you can see each other, where you can interact. What we decided to do, we would um, try to do another worship service, and we did that in the three weeks prior to Easter. Um, we gather at 9 o'clock, and we go through the same message, and it, we call it the first community service, and it's a little bit more interactive. What we did, we tried it then in the fall. We did it for three weeks, and we're going to continue to do it. We're going to continue to do the 1035 worship service exactly as it is. Uh, we'll broadcast that via Zoom. We'll add another one at 9 o'clock that we'll meet in the A-frame back there. Uh, it'll be a little more informal. We'll begin. We won't do singing. We haven't done singing. Begin with some kind of light thing to be able to share what were your Easter traditions growing up. People talk about one another, and then we move through and talk about the lesson. The thing is, there's all kinds of questions that happen, and this morning, all kinds of questions as we think about the uncontrollable sin. People say, what about this? What about that? Opportunity to share with each other, ask some questions about what did and this old people share, and then at the end, we were able to say, okay, what did you learn this morning, and how does it apply? And so some people have some, they wrote, and so that's kind of, we're going to continue to do that. If you want to check that out, I just wanted to bring that to your attention. We're talking about um, in a series, the, uncon the Uncontrollable Sin, and we're going to talk about coveting. To covet literally means to delight in something. It's not a negative thing. It depends on what you covet. Jesus, when he met with the, he wanted to spend the last night with his disciples, and what he said, I coveted. A literal word, I coveted to spend the last supper with you. So it's not a bad thing. It all depends what you want. Delighting in something belonging to another, delighting in something, wanting something belonging to somebody else violates the Tenth Commandment. Here's what it says in the Law of Moses, the Old Covenant. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. When what we take delight in, when what we want belongs to somebody else, we cross the line drawn by the Tenth Commandment. We don't have to steal what our neighbor has. We don't have to damage it. We just have to want what our neighbor has. I think you can see, if you think about this, um, we're going to end up with some good news, but before the good news, we really have to appreciate the somber news. And what that means, we just have to briefly we have to look at what this means when God says don't covet. And to be able to get a clear idea about it, we're going to have to understand the bad news before we understand the good news. Um, it's Jesus who made coveting count again. We get the impression then over the history of religion, this, this commandment kind of gets brushed aside. It kind of gets dismissed and it's made to be lighter and less challenging than it actually is. It's Jesus who dusted it off, put it back on the shelf. Jesus made coveting count again. Here's what he said. Um, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder. And anyone who murders 
will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Coveting is the gateway sin. Before we do the sin of action, it's a sin of thought and attitude. What Jesus is saying, it's not only the action that counts, it's the thought and attitude prior to the action. That counts as well. Uh, Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. God judges our thoughts and attitudes, not merely our actions. Coveting counts. Again, stay with me. There's good news here, but we really do. It will help us to understand the bad news in order to understand and apply the good. Um, it says the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Um, putting all this together, this isn't good news. God doesn't only judge what we do. He judges what we want to do. He judges what we think. Um, if God holds coveting against us, again, we're in a desperate situation because here's what it means. God doesn't go easier. God doesn't go easier on someone who hasn't committed adultery if that person has lost it. God doesn't go easier on someone who hasn't committed adultery if they've lost it. God doesn't go easier on someone who hasn't murdered if they have become angry. There's lots of sermons this past weekend talking about Jesus and his sacrifice and ended with a plea to live morally because Jesus died for you. Make better moral choices. Control your behavior because Jesus died for you. Lots of people left church this past week and thankful that Jesus died and that they make better choices because they're Christians. Again, they, lots of people left church thankful that they go to church more and they give more and they obey more and they care more. They do more things. Church matters. God matters. The problem is, is that if we control our behavior, but not our thoughts, we're placed in the same line as someone who committed adultery. If we control our behavior, but not our thoughts, we're placed in the same line as someone who committed murder. And there is going to be some good news. But we really have to at least look at what this is saying. This is a crushing burden, if we look at it. It's hard enough to control actions. It is immeasurably more difficult to control thoughts. We can control what we do. Controlling what we think is a whole different kettle of fish. And I think this is why 
the commandment against coveting gets pushed to the side. It ends up getting uh, dismissed. What it seems to say, though, biblically, is terms of the old covenant, coveting counts. It counts. And we find something else that is kind of adds a little more fuel for the fire. Uh, Paul writes, I would not have known what sin was except through the law, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from law, sin is dead. Paul made an astonishing discovery. I don't think it happened early in his Christian life. I think this took a while for him. He ends up coming to see it. He said something that, as far as I know, uh, unprecedented in the history of religion. What he ended up saying is that the Ten Commandments produce the very behaviors they prohibit. I'm going to say that again. I've said that before, but you have to hear what I'm saying. Again, there is good news coming, but we have to understand the bad. The Ten Commandments produce the very behaviors they prohibit. That's what Paul is saying. It said, don't covet. When he tried to control coveting, what he learned is that it became worse. Trying to control coveting is like trying to control a grease fire with water. I want you to imagine that in the kitchen back there, there's a grease fire. It would be logical when you see a fire to, what we go, we got to get something to put it out. And then logically, if you had a pail of water and you took that water and you threw it on the grease fire, what's going to happen? It's going to spread the flame. Try to control coveting because you're going to be cursed if you don't control it and blessed if you do. Trying to control coveting by controlling it is like throwing water on a grease fire. It makes the problem worse. Um, Coveting counts, and coveting is uncontrollable. We brush coveting aside, but God doesn't. Um, hopeless? Uh, no. There is a course of action. As far as I'm aware, there's only one, and it has different steps. We're going to break those steps down. There's three of them, and we'll hit the first one. Let me tell you what they're going to be. We have to... Decrease condemnation. That's first. Decrease condemnation. Increase awareness. Decrease condemnation. That's first. Increase awareness. That's two. Increase expression. That's three. We're going to talk about these three over the course of the next couple of weeks. We're going to land on, we're going to talk a little bit more about the third one. Um, here's what the Bible says to us, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What it says, we can receive mercy 
and find grace to help in our time of need. Mercy and grace, those are divine endowments. What God is saying, here it is, here it is, mercy and grace available. What do you need to do to access that mercy and grace? That's a good question, right? Do you need the mercy and grace? Tell you what, to contain coveting, you're gonna, I'm gonna. Okay, you know what it says? Approach the throne of grace with confidence. The word confidence literally means speaking freely. It's the freedom to enter the chambers of somebody in authority, and once you're there, to speak freely. Here's what God says. As we learn, and I'm, I'm using my word carefully, learn to approach God and speak freely with him about what we think and feel and about what we do, learning to express when we do that to him, express to him, learn to be honest with him, we receive mercy and grace. Okay? Hmm. Hmm. Vertical expression and sharing in the context of other believers talking about what we think and feel, talk about what we think and feel as part of um, receiving mercy and finding grace to help. We find the same thing. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. To be anxious is a word made up by two Greek words, divided and mind. Worry is having a split mind. Well, this looks good, but this really looks good too. And this looks, you know, it's just like we end up being split in our thoughts. What if, oh no, what if, oh no. So that's what worry is. It's about, we really are not comfortable with our choices. We want this, but we want that. So don't be anxious about anything. Easier said than done. Can you control your anxieties? Tell you what, you go to you go to sleep thankful that the day is over. Wake up in the morning and everything's wonderful, right? Some mornings, but some mornings you wake up and what's the first thing that happens? What if? Oh no. What if? Oh no, you think about the day and and before you're even completely awake. You're already thinking and being anxious about the thoughts of the day. You didn't say, well, I'm going to set the alarm 6 a.m. and I'm going to be anxious, okay? I wake up and it's not, we don't plan on it, but it's just the way things happen. You know what it says, don't be anxious about anything. Okay, that's easier said than done. By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends, all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you want to access God's peace, present your request. It seems to be saying the same thing. Do you agree? Mercy, peace, and grace are available. And they're all tied to expression. Learning to come to God and to be honest with him about what we think and feel even when what we think and feel might not be something that we want to think and feel. Learning to be honest and unguarded with him. Would you agree with me? That's a really hard thing. In fact, it takes a couple things. Before we can express, 
we have to become aware. That's a really hard thing. Does it ever hit you when you're thinking about something and you wonder, how did I get thinking here? You know, I was thinking about the Vikings a minute ago, and then that thought led to this, and that thought said, our thoughts are like monkeys swinging on trees. You know, this thought swings over to this thought, this thought swings over to this thought, and, and we, it's really kind of hard for us to, to think about our thoughts because they move really fast. Being aware of our thoughts is a difficult thing. We have to learn to think about what we're thinking about because we can't express what we're not aware of. Would you agree? We can't express what we're not aware of. So before we do expression this way and this way, we've got to do awareness. Now, this is hard, but there's another part that is hard in and of itself. Before we do expression, we've got to decrease condemnation. I'm not going to want to be aware of what I'm condemning, what I should do, what I'm going to do. Well, what do, you, what do we do when we think or feel or do what we don't want to think or feel or do? What do we do? Try to not think about it. But sometimes we can't control our thoughts. We compare ourselves. Well, I might be thinking this, but at least I'm not thinking that. <laughs> I might be thinking that, but at least I'm not thinking that. Or I might be doing and thinking this, but at least I'm not thinking about what Randy's thinking about. Or I'm not thinking about what Lorraine's thinking about. I'm not thinking about what Lila Marcia thinks. So we can we compare ourselves with others. And um, but the the fact is we can't express until we're aware. And we can't be aware until we decrease condemnation, we have got to stop judging our thoughts and feelings. This is first. As we decrease our condemnation, we start to become aware. As we become aware, we can begin to express. We're going to talk about these steps over the course of the next weeks. Um, but it's... Uh, we have to talk about... No, Conway, here's what Paul says. I would not have known what sin really was except through the law, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. Apart from law, sin is dead. The sin it talks about here is not sin as an act. It's sin as a power. It's the part of you that it's something in you that prods you to react and to pretend and to compare and to be angry and to be contemptuous and to be resentful and to be remorseful. It's not good. Sin, see it not as an act, but as a power, as capitalist with a crown on its head. It says, apart from law, sin is dead. What that's indicating, that if you are under the understanding of law, that if I do this thing, I'm going to be cursed. And if I don't do this thing, I'm going to be blessed. If we are under law, sin is uncontrollable. Here's the point. Coveting is uncontrollable to the degree we see ourselves under the old covenant. Under the old covenant, 
coveting is uncontrollable. If you're trying to change what you think and feel in order to make God happy and not to make him mad, it is not going to work. You're going to end up doing and having more of the kind of thoughts that you don't want to have. Um, apart from law, sin is dead. Fortunately, Jesus died to move us out from under the old covenant. And under the new covenant, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Under the old covenant, God is judging our thoughts, attitudes, and actions. Not just what you do, but what you think. Under the new covenant, God's not judging your thoughts or your attitudes or your actions. You know what ends up happening when you don't try to stamp coveting out in order to make God happy? You know, you're going to find slowly but surely over the years that you're not quite as negative and critical as you used to be. It's an amazing thing when you stop trying to control and you learn to express because you've been aware and you've learned to be aware because you're not condemning. But it all starts here. We have got to learn, and it's not an easy thing to do. We automatically condemn our thoughts and feelings, and we've got to move in the direction of not doing that. Um, what it says... This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sins. Um, under the new covenant, God is not judging. And here's what my, and we'll, again, we'll talk about this over upcoming weeks. With respect to decreasing condemnation, we're going we're gonna to need to start here. Don't be lazy about this. Be aggressive with it. Treat, treat it as if you're treating heart disease. If I said you had heart disease, and if I gave you a cure, you'd be really careful to take it. With respect to the spiritual cure, it's, this is about the heart. And what God says, the new covenant, what he says is this. He's not judging our thoughts and attitudes. So, with respect to that thought and attitude, that thing that you're thinking, you know the thought, the feeling that you have, you know, that one. I'm talking about that thought. What you might do is apply it to it. God, I have this thought. I really don't like thinking this. I hate feeling this. And we admit express because we're aware aware because we're not condemning what we do is deal with it and you know you know what to deal with it means reflect what god reflects because the truth is even though you have that thought the truth is god's saying i'm still in you i'm still with you good's still ahead of you guaranteed as we learn to apply the new covenant truths to our thoughts and feelings that is step one. Do this. When you're conscious, you know, the conscious, you know, your thoughts swinging from tree to tree and it, it strikes you, holy smokes, look what I'm thinking about. Stop there. Hey, God, you know what? Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm feeling. Thank you that even though I'm feeling and thinking this, you're still in me. You still put your thoughts in my mind and write it on my heart. You're still with me. Good's still ahead of me, guaranteed. 
know what that's doing? That's moving yourself out from under the old covenant and under the new. And with respect to coveting, this is where it starts. Um, apply it aggressively. Next week, we'll think of the root of coveting for the next couple of weeks. And we'll think about these steps again. Do you remember what the steps are? Do you remember what the three steps are? Remember the first one? You decrease one thing and increase two. I'll give you a clue. Decrease one thing, increase two. Decrease condemnation, because God's not condemning. Increase, what? Increase awareness, increase Decrease condemnation, increase awareness, increase expression, little by little. This is not going to happen overnight. Our thinking becomes pretty solidified. And the reason why you apply no condemnation and you move towards expression is that's how God has told us to manage coveting. And when we do so, little by little, it begins to work. We begin to be more able to enter his presence. We don't feel quite so controlled. Let's stand for closing prayer. God, I pray that you would um, help us to fight smart. Um, we'd like to, if we want to change our behavior, behavior starts with changing our thoughts and feelings. Coveting is the gateway, son. If we're going to change what we do, we've got to change how we think. And that's a really hard thing to do, especially when we understand that you're judging what we think. You're not just judging our actions. You're judging what we're thinking. That's scarier. We might look really good on the outside, but on the inside, we think things. And uh, we don't like what we think about. We try to control it. What you're telling us is, if we try to control it to make you happy, it's going to get worse. I pray that you'd help us to identify uh, these things. So we do what the Bible ends up selling us to do, which is to access mercy, grace, and peace by expressing. But if we're going to do that, we have to become aware of things you might not become aware of. And if we're going to do that, we have to decrease our condemnation little by little. Stop nailing ourselves for feeling and thinking this. You want us to approach the throne of grace and speak freely. You want us to present our requests. And you tell us that is the way we end up learning to receive divine stuff. Thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen.